Welcome to Holy Unhappiness, conversations about the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. I'm your host, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Each week, I'll be speaking with writers, pastors, artists, and friends about the myths we believe about the good life. Together, we'll reimagine what blessing can look like if we are willing to look beyond our culture's definition of happiness and success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. podcast. It is the last week of Advent, and it is almost Christmas. No doubt you are feeling that. And the theme for this week of Advent is love. So I wanted to start with some excerpts from a poem by Khalil Gibran entitled On Love. Then said Amitra, speak to us of love. And he raised his head and looked upon the people, and there fell a stillness upon them. And with a great voice, he said, When love beckons to you, follow him, though his ways are hard and steep, and when his wings enfold you, yield to him, though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you, and when he speaks to you, believe him, though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. Even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. Even as he ascends to your heights and caresses your tenderest branches that quiver in the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their clinging to the earth. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, Then it is better for you that you cover your nakedness and pass out of love's threshing floor into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all of your laughter, and weep, but not all of your tears. Love has no other desire but to fulfill itself, but if you love and must needs have desires, let these be your desires to melt and be like a running brook that sings its melody to the night, to know the pain of too much tenderness, to be wounded by your own understanding of love, and to bleed willingly and joyfully, to wake at dawn with a winged heart and give thanks for another day of loving, to rest at the noon hour and meditate love's ecstasy, to return home at eventide with gratitude, and then to sleep with a prayer for the beloved in your heart and a song of praise upon your lips. 
To talk about love, I've invited my friend Lori Ferguson Wilbert onto the podcast. Lori is an award-winning writer, thinker, learner, and author of the books, The Understory, which is coming out soon, A Curious Faith, and Handle with Care. She has written for She Reads Truth, Christianity Today, and more, as well as her own site, lauriwilbert.com. She has a master's in spiritual formation and leadership and loves to think and write about the intersection of human formation and the gritty stuff of earth. You can find Lori on Twitter and Instagram or on her kayak in the Adirondacks. She lives there with her husband, Nate, in upstate New York and with their pup named Harper. I'm really excited to have this conversation with Lori. Well, Lori, it's great to have you on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. Thanks, friend. I'm glad to be here, too. Yeah. Um, So I brought you on here to talk about love. Um, Love, as you know, is, is the theme of week four of Advent in the traditional church calendar. And so it's, I, I start by asking all my guests to define whatever the theme is, but that I feel like you kind of have the heaviest load. How does one define a word as well-worn, as ubiquitous as love? But I'm going to let you have a stab at it. What is a Lori Ferguson Wilbert definition of love? I was thinking about this earlier today and I was like, I don't know, like, patience and kindness and long suffering and all those sort of quintessential things. But, you know, you can't as, steal from St. Paul. You can't no, steal from St. So, Paul. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to steal some from, from some, someone else, though. Um, That's okay. I was just thinking about the ways that I, in particular, have had to engage my love muscles over the past mm. several years. And I thought, you know, Mark Sayers talks about a non anxious presence. Mm. And I thought, you know, I think that's how I would define love these days is showing up with a non-anxious presence and being someone who is um, safe to be with in all Mm -hmm. iterations of yourself. I mean, how can love be patient unless they're met with somebody or something that forces them to be patient? And so... How can we be kind unless we're truly kind, unless we're met with unkindness, um, truly long-suffering unless we have something to suffer through? And so I think all of those things require us to show up in a non-anxious way. Um, and that's going to look different for for everyone. You know, we're all going to be having to reach for different tools to help us to show up in non-anxious ways. But Mm. yeah, I think that's how I would today in 2023 define love. Yeah. And it's really hard in 2023 not to be anxious. I mean, I feel like anxiety is just in the zeitgeist. (laughs) Like yeah, you read like mental health statistics of people our age and younger. It's, it's pretty frightening actually. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is um, everywhere. And I think it shows up in um, even the smallest things that we suddenly like, we just can't stop thinking about, or we feel frightened about, or we are trying to make a plan that's not ready Mm. to be planned. And 
yeah, the anxiety, the opportunities for anxiety are everywhere. I was listening to um, Krista Tippett the other day on On Being, and she was speaking with someone who's done a lot of work in the um, climate and the environment. Mm. And this person was saying that the antidote to the anxiety is like having like a radically abundant mindset. Mm. So like to like just see abundance everywhere instead of seeing scarcity and lack and and she was referring to the climate and Mm. in that but um but i was thinking oh that's a good way that's a good thing to think about when we when we are overcome with anxiety yeah yeah well, I, I was saying before we hit record that I have a bad habit of wanting to interview authors about the books they wrote many years ago. And it may be that I'm just a slow reader. So I feel like I'm still stuck in the like 2018, 2019, 2020 books that came out and I'm slowly making my way. Um, but I, I'd love to ask you a few questions related to your book uh, entitled Handled with Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. Um, why did you decide to write a book about touch? Why Why do you think touch is important? And maybe that's even different than how you felt. I mean, I'm a writer too. I know that writers change and evolve. So I'd love to hear if you still think that and why you think touch is important. Yeah, I mean, I, the book was sort of conceptualized in 2018, I think, Um during the sort of the height of the Me Too movement, um, the beginning of it. And we were just surrounded, and we still are, with all these stories of touch gone really horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think in particular in the church, especially those of us who grew up in the church, who grew up maybe in the purity movement, um, we have a lot of clear ideas around what not to do and what is off limits. So we've got, you know, the world and the culture at large with these sort of really sideways views of touch and usages of touch. And we've got the church and the culture there with also a really sideways view of touch and human relationships and embodiment. And so I thought, you know, I don't know that I've ever read anything about what to do. Like, how do we engage our bodies as physical bodies in the world with other bodies? How do we? How do we show up in love? And I don't, I don't think I handled that perfectly in the, in the book by any stretch of the imagination. And the book came out just a few weeks before we all went on lockdown for the pandemic told not to touch each other told not to touch by, each other by the yeah. federal government maybe for the first time yeah in and so then that added this sort of like other complicated layer to 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 human touch and i think you know three and a half years down the road we are we are more hungry for healthy touch than we've ever been before mm-hmm. and i still don't know that we've gotten to a super healthy place with this um but yeah i i was curious about what how jesus used his body Mm. um with humans when he was here walking the earth and so that's what i wanted to explore 
And that's what the book is about. It's yeah. sort of an exploration of the body of Christ. Do you think this type of work is absent from kind of the Christian library, if you will, because we have inherited this like from our, you know, the ancient Greek philosophers and many of our Christian forefathers, yeah. this dualism, this false dualism. Yeah. yeah that, that our, our bodies are separate from our souls. Our bodies are bad. Our souls are the good spiritual stuff. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot as it relates to food and kind of the, the theology of food and how we don't talk about it that much. Cause that's like the physical stuff that is not, doesn't concern the spiritual, but, um, but if we do that, we miss. We actually miss a lot of the gospel narratives. If we don't talk about touch, if we don't talk about food, if we don't talk about these physical embodied things, you know? Yeah, yeah I just think, like, wh- why would God have made us hum- like flesh? Yeah. Why would have God have come in the form of Jesus as flesh if it didn't matter to God? Yeah. I, I can't believe that it doesn't matter to God. Like, I can't. Um, I believe that the evidence is to the contrary. Mm. <laughs> like it clearly matters to God that that we are humans, that we are embodied creatures, and that we need to eat and sleep and use the bathroom and have sex mm. and birth children and um, swim and uh, and die. Like yeah. those are all important parts of being human yeah yeah well and you you point out another reason why i think this topic is a little tricky i'm gonna do that annoying thing where i read your own words to you it's fine (laughs) you're not gonna mind it's gonna be great uh you write in your book in the old testament book of law there is a uh there's a form of one statement made 38 times do not touch there are rules about razors that should never touch heads and laws about hands that shouldn't touch parts of the tabernacle laws about not touching the sick bleeding feeble disease and, and you go on You say, touching so many things was forbidden to most of God's people. Only the high priests were allowed to handle what was considered holy. And uh, and only after extensive cleansing rituals before and after. But a curious thing happens in the New Testament when Jesus begins his ministry. He touches. So, I don't know. I mean, that's the incarnation, right? And that's obviously... It's it's Advent and Christmas is in a few days. Uh, You know, it's, it's upon us. This, when we think about this very uh, real, visceral, messy, even birth of Jesus, what what does it mean to you that God became flesh and mm-hmm. made that choice to physically touch people? What does that tell you about God? What does it tell you about us? Mm-hmm. You know, Amanda, I don't know about. I mean, I know you were also raised in the church, but I mm-hmm. I I grew up with this idea that God was far off, that God was removed from me somehow he his holiness was um couldn't share space with my humanness yeah and i think when i think about the fact that christ came embodied i think wow god wants to be near me Mm. god wants to god wants to get grimy (laughs) with me you know jesus saying thomas thrust your hand into my side like get your hands up in my guts like god wants to 
get in the guts with us. He wants to um, live with us and breathe with us and very, very really die with us. Mm-hmm. He wants to... Um, that's important to him. That's important to God. And so that comforts me a lot because I need a God who's near. Um, I have pretty weak faith a lot of the time and I have um, a mind that is prone to questioning, that is prone to skepticism, that's prone to um asking questions that seem too big sometimes for the church mm-hmm. and i need a god who meets that lack of faith those questions with not just um the holy spirit's presence but with a, a gutsy god with mm. a yeah i always think of that caravaggio painting of thomas sticking his fingers into christ's side that's the God that I need. And that's why I think it's so important for us to really remember that we have access to that God. Yeah. Not in the same way that um, that Christians had, Christ followers had access to God in flesh when Jesus walked the earth. But we do have a God who's, whose heart is to draw near and whose... Mm hope is to be with his people forever yeah yeah wow you you mentioned i mean the story of thomas gosh there's so much there that christ sought him out came specifically to him and did just we said thrust his hands in his face and said touch me are there are there other i mean there are lots of times actually in scripture that christ allowed himself to be touched in really vulnerable vulnerable ways like what what others come to mind as you think about that i think about um mary washing jesus feet anointing his feet with costly perfume perfume that would have cost her about a year's wages yeah um i think of the children jesus saying let the little children come to me and he places his hands on them um And there's so many. <laughs> um, you know, this is an interesting one because this isn't about Jesus touching someone, but about Jesus being touched by someone. Yeah. The woman with the issue of blood um, who who touched his robe and was yeah. made well. And I really love in that story that it says he felt the power go out of mm-hmm. him. Like there was a cost to being touched. Yeah. Tell me about that phrase because I've I've kind of wrestled with that phrase for mm. years. What did that mean exactly? You, you do a beautiful job in your book talking about this, but unpack but, it a little for us here. Yeah, I don't know that I like unpack it perfectly or correctly <laughs> even, but I do think that um, I do think there's a cost to being human in the world. There's a cost to being we're not impregnable people, Mm. you know, we're, we can be harmed and we can be hurt and we can be, um, yeah, there's, there's no way to go through life without, um, being wounded. Mm. 
yeah. in some way um, and feeling the cost of what it means to live as a human in the world. And so the way that I think of that story is that Jesus was sort of feeling the cost of um, being touched by someone who desperately wanted to be near him. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as an introvert, <laughs> maybe I feel this maybe more than other people, but I, I think, you know, I can even think of like mothers with young children. There's this sort of um, muchness that happens where you're just like, I need space. <laughs> I need time. And I just think, man, Jesus walking through the crowds, clamoring are all around him. And he feels this, this moment of very intentional, very um, visceral uh, healing happening. And I think that's really beautiful to think about. What does it feel like to have your power go out of you? I imagine it feels a lot like what you feel like when you go to bed at night and you're just exhausted from little ones or, you know, it's, there's a very real, cost to being human in the world and i don't think we have to like over spiritualize it much more than that it's making me just think of something i've never really pondered before it's like we think so much about the cost of the incarnation of you know christ leaving heaven and and we think of the cost of the cross i mean that's obviously the main headline it feels like it's always the main headline what about the cost of just his day in day out service Mm -hmm. and ministry that as a human, it was very likely wearisome to Jesus to give to all the people who so desperately wanted something from him, whether from pure motives or impure mm-hmm. motives, just people clamoring for his attention, for what he had to give, what he had to offer, and mm-hmm. his willingness to be touched, to be um, accessed like that, mm-hmm. that that was as a human perhaps very very wearisome and costly to him and it and it will yeah. be for us too any life lived yeah. in love is going to cost us something i've never really thought about that and just pondering have, that story yeah have you ever seen the chosen i haven't i'm like saving it for when my children start going to bed better at night okay and Save we it know we then. can watch a television show uninterrupted. <laughs> Save it for then, because it's it's worth uh, it's worth you know people have all kinds of opinions about it. I I I put it off for a really long time because yeah. I thought you know you know I grew up on cheesy Christian yeah shows yeah, yeah. Um, it's not cheesy and mm-hmm. um, but there's something about Christ's presence in that show the the mm-hmm. actor who plays Christ and the sort of goes back to that sort of non anxious presence mm-hmm. so there's just moments in there where you just you can see his humanity this the human sense of like i am exhausted and yet mm-hmm. i have work to do this sort of playing out in his face yeah. the actor's face and and i really appreciate that because um i think that we can tend to think that because christ was without sin he didn't feel the effects of living mm. in the world. And he yeah. did. He was tired and he was hungry and he was all those things. And that just tells me, hey, it's okay to feel conflict within my body, yeah. within my soul, within my spirit about giving when I'm tired or 
um, taking a nap when I have other things I'd rather be doing. Yeah. Like that, that sense of conflict in me is, is okay. And Jesus is familiar with it. And, um, I love the idea that, that Christ, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, a not anxious presence presumes that you're being met with anxiety, Mm. you know, being met with something to make you anxious. And I love that Jesus um, was presented with those opportunities Mm. dozens and dozens and dozens of times, in many ways worse than we ever will face some of them. Yeah. Um, And he chose... The Bible says, I, "My food is to do the will of the one who sent me." So he chose to 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 look to his father yeah. and do the will of his father in those in those moments of sort of consternation. Yeah, yeah. I think that permission to be human may be a helpful thing for for people to hear as they prepare for December twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and yeah. Christmas as is cast as this beautiful celebratory joyful time but for many people um it's it's hard to pull off (laughs) it's a lot of work and we can talk about why that is and I don't really want to get into that but it's it's, it is a labor of love for many people family can be hard gathering family together can be hard kids at Christmas can be wearisome maybe you're grieving and you're going through grief in the holidays. And so I think this permission to experience that heaviness in your body, to feel both things, to say, I'm thankful for my family and I'm worn out by my family. I am thankful for this holiday and I'm sick of this holiday. (laughs) Um, All of those things Mm -hmm. is okay. Even Jesus, I think, like you said, experienced that both and Mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, I, I, you do a really beautiful job towards the end of your book. You talk about some of the health struggles that you've had. And you mentioned a doctor who prescribed some pretty intense, like forms of physical care for yourself to, Mm -hmm. to heal and some health self care to help in the healing process. And she said these wonderful words to you. She said, remember that you're only human. And at the very least, that means you're a body. Don't forget you have a body. (laughs) So why does it matter to you that Jesus had a body (laughs) and that he took on flesh in an imperfect body in the incarnation. I think, what is that? What message does that send about who God wanted to be for us? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, as we move toward Christmas, I don't know what your family tradition is, but um, in our house, we, we don't put the baby in the manger mm-hmm. until the night before Christmas and um, that baby is vulnerable, right? Mm. I'm always worried every year. We've got this little hand carved um, little Mary and Joseph and baby that a friend made for us. And it's very simple and sparse and the baby is very small. And I'm always (laughs) worried the baby's going to get lost. Um, It tells me that God, like the all-powerful God, is also, is, not just was, is also all vulnerable as well. Um, 
Andy Crouch talks about how uh, flourishing leaders and leaders who lead in organizations that flourish have both authority and vulnerability. Mm. Um, and without one, without if they're all authority or all vulnerability, the organization suffers and they suffer as leaders. And when I think of the perfect, the epitome of a, a flourishing leader, I think of, of God being all powerful and all vulnerable. And I think if God was only ever just all powerful, um, I think we'd be missing something. Hmm. Not just like an example, but we'd be missing something really important and really core to the way of Jesus hmm. in the world. Yeah. I think about like just the process of birth of God being born and how mm -hmm. messy and raw and you know you think about jesus allowing himself to be touched he allowed himself to be nursed by a mother to be yeah. diaper changed diaper changed yeah. or whatever they use to clean yeah. up baby poop back yeah. then but he allowed himself to be cleaned and fed mm. in the way that babies are cleaned and fed and it's 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 you it's i always have a funny feeling around babies where i kind of feel embarrassed for them a little bit i'm yeah. like you don't this like you are so vulnerable right now like yeah. um and you're gonna be a grown-up someday and you're not gonna want to know what i just had to do to get you clean like you know yeah. i think about god submitting to that yeah um in a way that that dignifies i think what has always what has in many ways been the work of, of women or the work of um lower class people if you will yeah and saying this is part this is this is part of my story. This is good. This is something yeah. I'm submitting to. Um, yeah, it's really it's breathtaking. It's really breathtaking yeah. when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also adds another layer. Like as we're talking, it adds another layer to that non-anxious presence. Like mm. babies aren't anxious. Yeah, <laughs> they're just they just trust that their parent has their best interest in mind yeah. and. So Jesus came as like the epitome of a non-anxious baby who completely trusted that not only his heavenly father would mm. care for him, but that his earthly parents would care for him. Yeah. And he put his trust, he entrusted his life to an earthly mother and an mm. earthly father. And um, at a time when life was um, pretty fragile. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's really, that's something, I don't know that I've thought very much about that, about the fragility of life at, mm. in that time of time period and what it would have cost to submit to an earthly mother and an earthly yeah. father. Maybe maybe good to remember that if 
God himself can, if he can entrust his care, his own care Mm -hmm. to that of a probably 16 or 18 year old girl from a colonized corner of the Roman empire. She lived in poverty. If he can entrust himself to her care, we can be, we can allow ourselves to be cared for by others too. You know, that's a hard thing to admit that we need care, but God demonstrated that that can be done in love, you know, Um, and trust. Well, you quote C.S. Lewis in your book, and I'd love to just read that before we close. You say, love anything, or C.S. Lewis says, and you quote him, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and Mm -hmm. possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love. Did I say that right? Perturbations? Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis. He's got the big (laughs) vocabulary. The only place you can be safe from that uh, is hell. We shall draw near to God, not by trying to avoid the sufferings inherent in all loves, but by accepting them and offering them to him, throwing away all defensive armor. If our hearts need to be broken, and if he chooses this as the way in which they should break, so be it. And you write this, Lori, in response, to love in this way, to touch is to risk brokenness, making mistakes, getting it wrong. But as I said in the beginning of this book, there's a gospel for that. We cannot live lightly on this earth, but must tend the unruly garden we've been given, others and ourselves. That is the call of a faithful Christ follower. As long as we live in the already not yet, we must live in the bodies we have and interact with the bodies others have. And to remember what the broken body of Christ means for all the bodies and souls of history. You are a beautiful writer. (laughs) You just have such a beautiful way of saying things. Um, And I hope I I want people to know what you're working on now and because you have a new book coming out. So tell everybody what you're working on and where they can where they can find you. Thanks, Amanda. That's really kind. Uh Um, I have a book coming out in May called The Understory. Um, And it is a book kind of processing the last four years of um, life in the church and in the political sort of scheme that we've been living through um, while also uh, exploring the understory of the forest. And I really loved writing it. Um, so that comes out in May. Uh, and if people want to know, I mostly hang out on Substack these days and I'm really, really happy there. Uh, more happy than I've ever been on any social media platform. So, um, lauriewilbert.com is where they can go and and uh, read what I'm up to. Well, thank you. You're a, a trusted voice for those who have a curious faith. You also wrote a book about that that I, <laughs> I recommend to people. Um, but yeah, you're a trusted voice to be gentle about the hard topics and gentle about the hard conversations and love. Love is one of those. It's there's nothing simple about love and there's nothing simple about being in a body, but you write really well and really beautifully about it. So thank you. Thank you for the conversation today too. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. The reading from the lectionary this week 
is from Psalm 89, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness, known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. I want to thank each of you for joining me on this Advent journey and for listening. Thanks for diving into the themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And I think love is perhaps the best way for us to end. And as these sacred days of Christmas Eve and Christmas approach, whether or not the holidays are complicated by grief or illness or busyness or stress, I pray that you feel loved and upheld by God. I pray that you would remember uh, some of the challenges offered to us by our guests for this series. As you contemplate hope, would you consider, as Cole Arthur Riley challenged us, what are your artifacts of memory? And what does the past have to tell you about your hoped-for future? As you ponder peace, would you question, as Benjamin Norquist challenged us, question the stories we tell ourselves about our enemies? Is there a better story you can tell about the people who you see as your enemies, or maybe even just the people who simply bother you or rub you the wrong way? Maybe even people you will be spending the holidays with. As you think about joy, would you ask yourself in what ways you can make the walls of your soul more thin, as Joy Marie Clarkson challenged us? In what ways can we be open to life and all it has to offer us, both the delights and the disappointments? And as you contemplate love, as Lori Wilbert challenged us, may you be reminded that you too can receive love. If God in the incarnation submitted himself to the care of someone else, may you overcome your pride a bit and submit to the care and the concern and the love of those around you. Merry Christmas to you, and thank you for listening. Joy to the Sing.